The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning. My name is Rob Daniels and welcome to Visions and Sound. Now for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 47 of 2021 and show 1100, if you're keeping track that way. This week, we continue into November with a celebration of the 30th anniversary of The Rocketeer. And joining me this week, all the way from Ramsgate, England, and from in town here, we have uh, Jason Drury and Eric Woods. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. And I just realized, yes, show 1100, so I'm glad you guys are here for kind of another milestone show, we'll say. Yeah, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Oh, I wonder who's keeping count. Hey, I keep a very accurate count, so there's no there's no worry about that, sir. Is, is some guy in the corner knocking him off? It's no, I'm eleven hundred now. <laughs> like some sort of prison cell. <laughs> so yeah, um, uh, the Rocketeer, um, in from 1991, also known as the Adventures of the Rocketeer is a superhero film released by Walt Disney Pictures and Touchstone, uh, directed by Joe Johnson and stars Bill Campbell, Jennifer Conley, Alan Arkin, Timothy Dalton, Paul Servino, and Tiny Ron Taylor. The film is based upon characters of the same name, created by comic book artist and writer Dave Stevens. Set in 1938, Los Angeles, The Rocketeer tells the story of stunt pilot Cliff Secord, who stumbles upon a hidden rocket-powered jetpack that he uses to fly without the need of an aircraft. His heroic deeds soon attract the attention of Howard Hughes in a very positive portrayal, I find, in the, and the FBI, who are hunting for the missing jetpack, as well as the Nazi operatives that stole it from Hughes. 
Now, as far back as 1983, development for The Rocketeer had begun when Stephen sold the film rights. A couple of directors, Stephen Miner and William Deere, were considered, and but before Johnson signed on. Also during this time, screenwriters Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo uh, had creative differences with Disney, causing this film to fall into development hell. Disney also wanted to change the trademark helmet design. Disney CEO Michael Eisner wanted a straight NASA-type helmet, but Johnson had to convince the studio otherwise. Johnson, Johnson also had to convince Disney to let him cast actor Billy Campbell, kind of an unknown at the time. Now, I did not see this film in theaters, and I'm not sure why. But one also has to remember that superhero films were big with Batman coming out in 1989 and Batman Returns being set a year later in 1992. I guess The Rocketeer just did not appeal at the time. Now, I have seen it recently and I had forgotten just how good the film is. So, guys, um, let's start with you, Jason. Did you see The, the Rocketeer in theaters? I did. I remember it very well. I think I saw it advertised, I think, on television. One of those American top 10 film shows and they did a little preview of it so i was interested from that and when it came over here i think it did quite well over here because when i saw it i remember there was a very good uh, attendance to see the film on the screening i saw of it so it's a terrific film it's a it's a you know it's, it's a typical what well, probably like typical 1930s adventure in janet jones sort of style they were going for the american serials like the classic like king of the rocket men things like that you can see that Influence particularly in, in, in the outfit and sure. and, and the design and the design and particularly of course it's the um, the comic book was based on like those classic 1930s serials mm-hmm. and uh, it was I remember it, it was an enjoyable enjoyable evening seeing the film it was, and, and I, I saw it this week for the first time I think for eight like, only eight six seven years eight. the last time I saw it, I think was uh, doing my research for the Horner documentaries and uh, it still stands up it's a really enter- entertaining film. It has, it's a lot, you can see probably in these days, it could be a lot quicker in getting into the, into the plot that it is. But I think the way, the, the pacing of it is still really good. It's, the, the acting is good. Timothy Dalton just does his uh, Errol Flynn, which is fantastically superb doing it as well. Yes. It was, you can see he's, he's enjoying himself. And uh, it's, a great, it's, a, it's a good production, good design. And of course, we'll... Something else with one of the most important elements of that film is uh, we'll talk about James Horner's score. But it's also, nowadays, it's also a very important film for me for a special reason because uh, editing wise, because in a way, it wasn't for The Rocketeer, I may not even be here because it was one of the first things I actually edited for the James Horner documentary series was the segment for The Rocketeer. Nice. And it worked. It took, I remember that, to be nearly two hours to get it right. And uh, since then, you know, things I've edited so much since because I've got a lot because in a way I've got a lot to find out of for that. Eric, how about you? I saw the film on video. Again, probably one of those wonderful Sunday afternoons where my folks would bring home a couple of films and we'd sit there and, and watch them on, on our, our VHS machine. And um, I had seen commercials for it uh, during the time, but again, we never really got out to the theater very often, uh, back then. And, and I also think that the big film out there that 
year or even came out that weekend was uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves and I right. remember seeing that one and that was a that's a, a vivid memory as well for me but the Rocketeer yeah so I must have seen that months later and uh, I was dumbfounded because I was like how in the world did I miss this how did we not go see this in the theater but um it's just it's kind of like right up my alley i mean with raiders lost ark being my my favorite movie of all time this sort of kind of is in the same vein as as raiders and as jason mentioned it it does rely on um you know being inspired by those uh, 1930s 40s uh, serials and but it's a it's not as um i'd say deadly serious as as indiana jones it sort of has this kind of gee whiz bang um, kind of feel to it, right? It's right. it's more aimed towards, I think, the kids or that 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 kid in you, um, just having a great time at the movies and 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 kind of enjoying um, just a a a, a rockling fun adventure without getting bogged down behind something overly serious. Or, I mean, even though the Nazis are in this um, are in this film. Um, I just find that the element of of youthful energy and fun is just it's it's all over this this movie, and so I I am really surprised that it that the film didn't do as well as it did. Right. I mean, I think it it might have made its money back or its budget back, but um, it was up against some huge films in '91, and um, and I think that even back then the the live action Disney films just didn't have the kind of um, panache well, as it does now well disney um, i think was kind of coming out of that rent that uh that really big slump that they had i think yeah. the, i think the the last animated film was like um oliver and me or something like that and then they kind of well, went yeah i mean they were just coming out they're just beginning the disney renaissance so i yeah. mean you had little mermaid you i think aladdin came out this year or was it beauty and the beast beauty and the beast came out I think it was Beauty and the Beast. But anyway, they were they were doing really well with their animated films. Right. But I still I remember being back then where you saw the Disney label for live action, and it was always kind of aimed at at kids, which I understood. I mean, that's what the Disney brand was back mm-hmm. then. And I think once people saw that, they're like, "Oh, this is obviously a, a kind of a kiddies movie," and you know, we we really won't take it that seriously. But I think Joe Johnston did a wonderful job adapting the story. I think it's one of the best um, comic book adaptations you'll ever see. And I and I think that even though it does borrow from Indiana Jones, it, it really does live on its own, especially with the with the story, uh, with its hero, um, and its bad guy. Great twist and the special effects. I think. I mean, there's points where you can tell. Yeah, you got a guy flying behind a blue screen, yeah. but there are moments where I mean, the whole Zeppelin finale is yes. utterly thrilling, and some of the visuals, yeah. striking visuals. I mean, the, some of these. Some of these shots should be just as iconic as any iconic shot in, in the history of movies. Like when he's um, the Rocketeer flies up to the the American flag and kind of looks up at the Zeppelin. It's just this great hero shot. Yeah. And you don't see that, you know, displayed b- besides like you know like those one perfect shots. And that should be it. Um, but I think that this is just a a whole load of fun and uh, a, a major reason for that is just this wonderful folksy adventurous swashbuckling score that james horner crafted that i but besides braveheart i think is his best score i would agree with that now as we have mentioned and uh that the the music for the rocketeer was composed 
uh, and conducted by the late, great James Horner. Now, the score is often mentioned as being one of the film's stronger elements. And one of the things that jumped out at me about the score, and uh, we can discuss this either off-air or we can discuss it now, um, the fact that um, Horner was a pilot. Um, yes. You can really hear the love of flying in this in this score. And I mean, it's just, there's this, there's these flourishes, this one flourishes and it just has this beautiful and and it just, it just really, um, it just shows a, a, a love of the skies, a love of, of love of flying. And I think that's where, um, where this score has its, its real, uh, strong points in it. Particularly the cue the flying circus, which is one of the greatest cues you've ever wrote. Yeah, especially the, the, the latter half of it where, I mean, once you get past the action and he's saved the day, it's just then you get that those shots of him flying through the clouds and that's where Horner okay. just slows everything down. I mean, Horner right. was great at flying cues. Mm -hmm. He wrote some great ones. Uh, Project X, um, I think he wrote one for, um, uh, what was, was it Fern Gully that he did? Did he do Fern Gully? I think so. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. and then he wrote, uh, you know, like, of course, there was the Flying Horseman, um, and uh, a couple of other um, great, just pure flying. He was the, one of the best at it. Maybe the best film composer to, to capture flight in his music. Right. And obviously it's because he loved flying, loved flying so much. And, uh, you know, once he wrote music for the, for the four, ho four horsemen or the flying horsemen, um, what was that like five years before he died you know he wanted yeah. to get back up in the air yeah. and and start doing what they were doing because he was just so in love with being being in the air and you can just tell just in his music anytime he got a chance to to capture that with his composition it was magical i think the only composer apart from horn who was good for flying sequences was one goodwin and i think that's and to me that's a compliment of how good horner's music was for, for flying particularly in this film all right well, the soundtrack was originally released on Hollywood Records. Now, an expanded edition was released by Entrada Records in 2016. Uh, the two songs on it were arranged by Billy May, who had collaborated with Horner several times in the past. So it will be the Entrada uh, version that we are featuring today. So here's some music from the 1991 film Rocketeer, The Rocketeer as we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the film. Back in a little bit.
And with some music from the 1991 film The Rocketeer. That's music, of course, by James Horner, as we are celebrating the 30th anniversary. In case you're joining me late, uh, we have uh, two guests on the show this evening. Jason Drury, all the way from Ramsgate, England, and Eric Woods from a more closer climb here in Kitchener. So, welcome, gentlemen, to the show. Glad to have you here. We sort of started to discuss this off-air. Um, there are the great composer-director combinations over the years, and that seems to have been lost a little bit. Um, what do you think? Are, are directors afraid to take chances with music anymore? What do you guys think? Uh, we'll start. Whatever. It doesn't matter who starts. <laughs> Um, Go ahead, Jason. Well, I the, the problem these days is that the, court, it, the producers want to approve every note in all occasions, and the pressure on composers these days to do the score exactly what, what they want from the, from, the, from, the, from the producers is so great these days. You don't have an occasion like uh, probably if Horner or James Johnson, Johnson saying, "Oh, here's, here's the score. Do 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 your score, no problems whatsoever." You know, just just have a free reign. The free, it's very, very rare for a composer of a free reign these days, which is which is a shame. That's why we get so many scores come out which are um, very, very similar. There's nothing that, that, that directors don't have a, or directors and producers don't think, it's very rare to have the case of the music being front and centre, like in The Rocketeer. And it's such an, this is such an important element in the film. You only get it from your composers like the Giacchino's, like the Silvestri's, and of course John Williams. But it's very rare we see these days these new composers given a chance to see their full voice. This is such a shame. And and we, as film music fans, we enjoy when when the music is an important element of the film, like for Rocketeer. This is so first 30 years ago, this, we, had, we had, at the time, I was thinking of the composers working there. We had John Barry, we still had Emma Bernstein, we still, obviously, Jerry Goldsmith, we had Michael Kamen, Williams, some great composers doing great work. But nowadays, we've got the new people coming out, they're not, they haven't had, this film music as, as, as a business has changed so much in, in for, for, for the producers and the, how, how, how it's, how the music is is uh, being kept on and and, and important as part of the film, but it's a shame really because um, you know it's important in a lot of occasions that composers do have a free range to actually see what they can do, and uh, they've been held back so much in these days. But the Rocketeer, I think, is, a, is to me is a great example of what film music used to be like in those days, because because you know as I said, there's so much, so much talent still working there, and. Uh, it's just, it's just, you know, it, it, you don't get films like, like Rocketeer you know, with the music so front and centre as much. And when they do come around, they, these, these films stand out for me. But, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a changing world because of that. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's a shame. That's probably why we still like the older film scores a lot more than the ones that are coming up at the moment. You know, there's some good stuff being done. But, it's, but the good stuff seems to stand out a lot more these days because mm-hmm. of it. So, um, yeah, the film itself, and uh, we, we've kind of discussed this, um, was a flop, but reading here, uh, the film was released in June of, uh, June of 1991. It was generally well-received. 
Now, unfortunately, plans for the Rocketeer sequels were abandoned after the film was a disappointment at the box office, growing a relatively uh, grossing rather a relatively modest forty-six million dollars on a thirty-five million dollar budget. Not bad, but it made back its money. But I guess maybe just not enough. Um, however, a television series based on the film. Uh, with Campbell reprising his role as the Rocketeer, premiered on Disney Junior on November 2019. Now uh, we can we'll, we'll discuss that in, in a little bit because there's things about it that are, are interesting, and but mostly it's just for kids at this point. So yeah, um, the film itself I thought was uh, looking back upon it, there are some really good. Um, character moments in it. One of the ones uh, I, we kind of discussed this off, off air with the idea of, uh, the music and where, uh, the Rocketeer falls behind the cloud and you get that, yeah. that, uh, that lift of, of music. And as you, as you put it, Eric, um, James Horner basically <laughs> helped the Rocketeer get out from behind that cloud. So <laughs> some fan, some, excuse me, some fantastic stuff going on with the, uh, with the, the Rocketeer score. So yeah, I'm just going to uh, uh, just continue on. Now we had discussed this cue before. I know Jason, you said it was one of your favorites, and um, this is the. We'll start with uh, the Flying Circus, which is, uh, as, as you said, one of the one of your favorites. And um, have a listen. Um, before you do, though, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show. By all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my, on my website at visionsinsound.ca. I'm also on Good Pods, uh, downloadable for your mobile device, whatever you got, whether it's a phone or whatever. And I'm also on Apple Music. That's a lot of to say and that's a lot of places i am so uh we'll continue on with some more music from the rocketeer as we're celebrating the 30th anniversary and we'll be back in just a little bit
dawn There is no sunrise When your lover has gone What lonely hours The evening shadows bring What lonely hours With memories lingering Like with a little bit of music from the 1991 film The Rocketeer. That's music, of course, by James Horner with some help from uh, other music of the era, we'll say. In any case, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at Visions Sound, at, uh, and you can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. I'm on Good Pods, a downloadable app for your phone or other type devices, and I'm also on Apple Music. Welcome back to Visions and Sound as we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of The Rocketeer. Now, Billy Campbell, the, the star of the film, once studied commercial art made sure that he read the Dave Stevens graphic novel on which the film is based. He got the part after getting a haircut to make himself look like the character in the graphic novel. Um, now, during, the, during the, uh, the pivotal fight scene on board the Zeppelin, Cliff says to Neville, where's your stuntman now, St. Clair? To which Neville replies, I do my own stunts. This line is, refer- is a reference to Timothy Dalton's time as James Bond, since he is known for being the only Bond actor to perform most of his own stunts. Now, as mentioned before, the, ca- the decision to cast Billy Campbell as Cliff Secord caused a little stir of emotions amongst Disney executives. Joe Johnson and Dave Stevens believe Campbell was perfect for the role, but Disney wanted an A-list actor. Johnson eventually did convince Disney otherwise. Now, Lothar, as we've mentioned before, uh, Tiny uh, Tiny Ron was made to look like Rondo Hatton. Now, if you're not familiar with Rondo Hatton, he played a, he played a similar type role in B-movies. He was a big man with this really 
square face and very much like Lothar, which inspired, which was inspired from this movie. So Ron can be seen in, uh, out of makeup in a cameo as one of the good old boys. He gapes as his companion marvels at the big gopher. Uh, Disney had a special mechanism built for the film called the shaky cam. It was designed to be the exact opposite of the steady cam. That is to introduce vibrations into the picture. This was used in the scenes filmed inside the Zeppelin to give the impression of the power of the engines. When the movie went to video, the effect didn't transfer too well and therefore was steadied. Now, Jeremy Irons and Charles Dance were considered for the role of Neville St. Clair. Actors such as Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Robin Williams, Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Ron Perlman, and Tom Hanks were considered for the role of Cliff. And on the music front, this was James Horner's Disney music debut. He would later do music for Mighty Joe Young and Bicentennial Man. Coincidentally, and we've mentioned this before, James Horner was a pilot, much like Cliff was in the film. So guys, um, we, we, we went off on a, a myriad of topics uh, while we were off air, which I, th- which I think is great, but bringing it back to the, to the, to the Rocketeer. And it's um, one, of the, the, one of the great moments, I think, in the film, and it's very subtle. Uh, is the scene where they're at the uh, the observatory, and mm-hmm. you've got the two, you've got the uh, the mob guy, and the FBI guy, and they're 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 in shooting towards the Nazi characters, yeah. and they both t- they both share a quick look, and then just continue going and continue shooting. And for me, that was a neat moment. It didn't have to be spelled out. It didn't have to. Yes. It didn't need a whole bunch of dialogue to it. No, it was just. A moment there where there's, hey, kind of like, hey, uh, we're both on the same side, despite the fact that before we weren't. I th- I also think that uh, that uh, um, Timothy Dalton as Neville St. Clair chewed the scenery in this entire film. I thought he was he was brilliant as Neville St. Clair. Um, speaking very much like um, uh, Errol Flynn. Mm. And was it? It is linked to Errol Flynn because people, even these days, think he may have had some uh, interesting lives thing happening away from the movies. Well, now did he did he not play? No, that was I I was thinking Errol Flynn was um, was in Gone with the Wind. No, that was Rhett Butler. Uh, That was Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Sorry, yes, that was Clark Clark Gable. Gable. Who actually do they not run into each other, or is that? Is that James Cagney that he runs into? I can't remember. There's one point where he he go he t- kind of turns to the to one actor, and I think it's Clark Gable actually that he. I, I think I think it is yes that he Clark does Gable. he does yes, say yes yes. So yeah, the in in the South Seas Club, which I think is is again a, a fantastic fantastic scene, bit, and bit of name dropping there. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and W. C. Fields is as creepy as yes. I recall as I recall reading about him. As yes. very much so. My little check a day. One thing I've got to correct you on, though, Rob. The uh, first James Horner's Disney debut was Honey, I Swap the Kids. Oh, two years earlier. Okay. Which also was directed by James Johnson as well. So that, that was the first 
Disney film he did. Well, you know what? You can kick IMDb's butt because that was <laughs> that was that that's where I got that information from. Well, that's a show sometimes well, that IMDb isn't as uh, reliable as it can be. <laughs> well, I'm 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 also wondering whether it goes back further than that. Um, wasn't Journey of Natty Gan? Yes. Disney? Yes. That was, yes. Yeah, so he's, he's going further. Uh, eight, yeah, I think 80, 83. So that's... 85, yeah. 85, so... Yeah, so Rob, you want to start the show over again? <laughs> okay, let's see. I'll just get the get the theme going again. Hang on. Somebody pop the theme back in. Good, good morning. Welcome to Visions and Sound. Good morning. Welcome to Visions and Sound. My name is Rob Daniels, and welcome... This is show 1100, if you're not, if you're keeping track that way. Uh, Turns out that we're doing the 30th anniversary of The Rocket. Anyway, we'll continue on with that one. So no need to restart uh, on that one. Natty Gan. I, I, you know, I actually haven't seen that one, that one. Oh, it's, it's a charming movie. And I think it features one of James Horner's very best scores, which was a replacement score. Because uh, Elmer Bernstein wrote the score before that, oh, and Horner came in at the last second and just absolutely nailed it. That album from Intrada, uh, that was the first time I heard Horner's score for Natty Gan since uh, seeing the film years ago, and it is a marvel. It's beautiful. It's exciting, adventurous. It's got a theme to die for. Great, great score by by Horner. I, I mean, Bernstein's isn't that bad either. But um, but yeah, James Horner's is is magnificent. All right, well, both of them available, which is fantastic. You know, Bernstein's scores in the Perez release of his rejected scores and mm-hmm. the Horner one as well. It's been it's good that both were released, so we can and both both of them, as Eric said, are really quality stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of quality stuff and great scores, why don't we continue on with some more music from The Rocketeer? And, uh, yeah, we'll be back in a little bit and to talk some more about the 1991 film Rocketeers. We're celebrating 30 years of the film. Back in a bit.
with a little bit of music from the 1991 film The Rocketeer. That's music, of course, by James Horner. So if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. I'm also on Good Pods. So just type in Visions and Sound. You can find me that way. Or you can also try Apple Music and find me that way. Or other as the term, Eric, I love this term, podcatchers. You've, you've, you introduced me to that term. I think it's great. You can find me on other, on other podcatchers as well. Just type in Visions and Sound to see if you can find me. Anyway, welcome back to the show as uh, we are celebrating the 30th, yes, 30th anniversary of The Rocketeer. So now the legacy guys, we have to discuss this in regards to the, um, to the legacy of, of this film. Um, when I went to see it or when I, when I finally saw it on video, I was like, why did this movie not do, do well? And the, the, the only thing I can think of is the fact that it just wasn't the time for it. And, um, but I, 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 again, there are so many great elements in it. What do you guys think are the, the kind of the reasons as to why this film did not, and has only recently or more recently caught on as a, as a kind of a, an adventure film. I think maybe it's the, the, a a lot of films uh, and maybe I'm going off on different tangents here, guys, but, um, a lot of films, especially films like from the eighties, um, I was watching a documentary of sorts on the last starfighter and finding that it only seemed it flopped in the box office when it was first there, but now it's a cult classic. So what takes it from a box office flop to a cult classic? What do you guys think? Well, I think, I think Eric pointed it out earlier. It could be Walt Disney pictures, you know, because at the time there wasn't a great reputation for the movie, good movies from Walt Disney. Okay. It was one or two great films from them, but mm-hmm. there was still, I think the Walt Disney pictures name meant, you know, probably did not help the film in some ways. But I remember when I saw the film at the Cult of Cinema in Westgate, like 30 years ago, which I still can't believe it was quite, I remember what it was a good attendance a lot of people were there and they, they all enjoyed the film. It was a very entertaining film. So I'm sure, sure it did much better overseas than it did for the United States. Cause I think it was, you know, we kind of like embraced it as well. And it was, I know it was advertised a lot over here and, uh, it, it had a good performance, but, uh, it is, it, it it could well be that I know that they tried to put it under the touchstone mantle as well in certain places to try and keep it away from Disney, which you know, like Disney, is some sort of bad thing. Like it's this is like it, it, you know, it's it is, you know, it's got a bad added it name was tainted at the time. Well, yeah, we but, were just, we were discussing the fact that that Disney was was generally associated with kids stuff, which is kind Kurt, of the, Kurt, the re, kind of the reason Kurt, why they yeah they created the whole. Go ahead. Yeah. Apple dumpling gang and things like that, which is yeah, you know, computer it's, war it's, tennis it's, shoes, that it, kind of stuff, all that stuff. But the film, the film itself, you know, if people want to see it, I'm sure they enjoyed it. And I think it's, 
I think, for, for example, you've got your last Starfighter. Probably it, it gained more success when people saw it away from the cinema on video or on DVD. I know the last. I think the first one took Lost Starfighter. I saw. I saw it first on on video myself. So, but I think uh, when people managed to see the film, and that's the. I think also it didn't help. I think mainly because it's, as Eric said as well, it's opened at the same time as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It was just There's scooping up all too, the dollars. Yeah. So that probably was one of probably one of the major reasons why it didn't do so well. But uh, it may be the case of that they the film would have been more successful if they had timed its release far better and not put it against Kevin Costner juggernaut. Well, there's that. Um, for me, I think maybe I don't know. Were, did people not think that Disney was capable of doing yeah. superhero movies? And that kind of thing. And they also got to remember also got Lawrence Gordon and that people involved like it's the producer Die Hard involved in this film. And also the writing talent also had um I think the two writers, I think they were I think they just come fresh out of this uh, one season of this highly acclaimed one season of the Flash. So we had decent writers, people had, had good ex- you know, they had had a reputation already. They had and, and people had production had good things going for it. It just it may be the, the reasons like just does the brain Kevin Costner. <laughs> it's his fault. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think superheroes. I mean, as much as they were in at that time, it was the the dark gothic superhero film. I think people were craving. Uh, with Batman's release in nineteen eighty nine, and so and you see that in you know the batman the animated series you see the you know right. the flash was was dark and 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 subsequent um films of the same sort of I mean, the same sort of genre um i mean you're right we just got out of indiana jones the last crusade in 1983 or 1989 sorry um and you would think that oh okay you know, maybe, oh, do we need another swashbuckling adventure film? But then again, you look at the success of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Mm-hmm. And I think, I honestly do think that uh, the Rocketeer honestly just got lost amongst like just absolutely massive movies. So it was Robin Hood, it was City Slickers, and I think uh, Dying Young uh, came out around the same time. So you got right. Julia Roberts, who was just, you know, huge. Um, back then so you're trying to compete against these just absolute massive juggernauts and it's it's tough it's it's tough to kind of fit in there um i'm glad that it eventually found an audience i mean it did pretty well in in on 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 video and when it came out in 91 and 92 um and then you know obviously found its audience on dvd um and i'm and i just hope that you know People our age and you know those who also have children are 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 passing this film down and and showing you know kids um, just how how great this movie is and I think the other thing is it just didn't have the star power and as much as Billy Campbell is I think he's excellent I think he's perfectly yeah. cast mm-hmm. honestly um, you know you you just don't have that that bankable star uh, to to kind of carry a movie of this sort. And it's honestly, it's honestly too bad. I just kind of wish that Disney stuck with it. And, yeah. and yeah. but I mean, you look at the results, the the box office results, and they're utterly disappointing. 
uh, compared to other blockbusters at that time. So they, it just went up at the wrong time. And but yeah. it, like I said, it found its audience later. And I mean, hopefully, you know, we get to see more. But I mean, I'm glad we have it. And it produced one of James Horner's greatest scores, one of the greatest comic book film scores of all time. And I mean, I mean, it's glad that it's there that we can all just continue to enjoy um, for for the many uh, days and years to come. All right. Well, we're going to get close to wrapping up the show, so we'll play a little bit more music and we'll come back and wrap up the show. So here's some more music from The Rocketeer.
You know, the funny part about this, guys, is I always consistently think, man, I'm going to run out of music before the end of the show, and I never do, and I should always convince myself that it's not going to happen <laughs> in any case. Um, while it was a shame that Rocketeer did not get any sequels, as mentioned earlier, the Rocketeer did get an animated revival of sorts in the 2019 to 2020 series with music by Dominic Lewis. It is currently available on Disney+. Plus. As of this broadcast, no music has been officially released. Guys, in the very short time that we have left, what do you got coming up? We'll start with uh, Eric. Wow, there's a massive amount of stuff coming up. Um, but I will say that this week uh, we'll have our second All Request show. Awesome. Which is always a lot of fun. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do now. And I want to do more often uh, because the the people who put in the requests do all the writing for me. Ah. So I do less work. But <laughs> uh, the, the, the selections are always so, so good and so personal. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear that one. So that's uh, that's what I'm working on. Uh, and hopefully it'll be up sometime either early or, or sometime next week. All right. Jason, how about you? Well, recently, you've, the Bruce Bolt interviews have come out, and uh, one came out this last night. Uh, an interesting composer called Liana Primiani, which I do recommend you you will ever listen to. Also, a couple more interviews coming up recently, coming up soon, featuring Natalie Holt, and the first part of a very interesting series. As I keep prom- I keep uh, promoting the Stephen C. Smith interview about talking about his book on Mike Steiner, which I really have really enjoying editing so we really hope you can enjoy that and I've, I've got a few other interviews i'm working on as well There's particularly also including dominic lewis which you mentioned about the rocketeer so mm-hmm. uh and uh, i've got also something a few things also coming up on fsm as well so um i'm gonna be pretty busy for the next uh, week or two all right well that's all for us this week thanks for hanging in those that did now before i end off today's show i hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are never let anyone tell you any different if you're ever feeling not right there are people out there who care about you and are willing to chat if not family then some professional who can help as rocky said nobody hits harder than life I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the support of a huge team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of emergency, please call 911 for immediate help. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, and Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868 all offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, join me next week as we conclude November. Hard to believe we're getting into the end of November with dystopian video game scores. So I'll end off this week's show with more music from The Rocketeer. Gentlemen, once again, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. It's always a pleasure. And oh, nice, uh, Rob. Yeah, always enjoy. But always good to get up for three thirty for Rob Daniels. It's a pleasure <laughs> doing so. All right, <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. It's very much appreciated. So, more music from the Rocketeer, and I will be back next week with more visions in sound.